Are you ready? Are you sitting down? We're going to pull back the curtain on the divorce process, the mistakes and the missteps. How can couples navigate the divorce process? Can you still divorce in a healthy way? The conversation is as good as it gets. It's fun, insightful. It will change the way you think about your life and how to tackle life's challenges. The Shine On Podcast, Season 3. Episode 61 of the Shine On Podcast. I'm Evan Shine. We have an absolutely great episode today. We're going to switch things up on the pod today for the first time ever. The listeners asked for it. The listeners wanted more of it. The listeners wanted more docket and more Ask Evan. So coming up for the first time ever on the podcast, you're going to get it. That's right. You're going to get more docket, more Ask Evan, more opinions and takes and insight from me and producer Dave. But don't worry. Next episode, we'll be back with the featured Shine On guest segment. But Dave, there's so much going on in the world of divorce. And I know you're chomping at the bit. You're absolutely fired up. The hair on your head is standing up. <laughs> if I had any. You haven't, <laughs> <laughs> you haven't been able to sit still all morning. So let's fire up the docket. Let's do it, Evan. Let's waste no time. And now, let's see what's on the docket. This is a supersized docket, Evan, for the first time. Not one, not two, not three, six. Six big items from the docket, and each one more interesting than the next. Let's start right at the top of the docket. Item one. Item one comes to us from the New York Times. It is a guest essay, an opinion piece written by Freimet Goldberger. Sorry, Ms. Goldberger, if I'm mispronouncing your name. But she writes the following. This is the case for staying married to a spouse you cannot stand. And it is interesting, Evan, because this is a, a Jewish couple that is Hasidic, which is, as you and I know well, the the most religious, the most pious of the Jewish faith. So they have their own traditions and customs. What did you think of this piece? Dave, I got to tell you, I thought it was absolutely fascinating. And look, there's reasons people stay in all sorts of things far too long. Marriages, relationships, jobs, friendships, even when you might know deep down inside, that the happiness that you should be getting from these things, you're not getting it. It's not happening. But this is a firsthand perspective from someone who admits to staying in a marriage to a person she couldn't stand. And you want to know how much she couldn't stand her husband? Let me read you some of these quotes from the opinion piece. Whatever love survived was overshadowed by bitter irritation and sometimes even hate. I loathe his comfort with the lingering strictures of our Hasidic upbringing. He was exacerbated by, by me. I called him dreadful names. He responded to my contempt with silence. When he let my insult slide to preserve the peace, I found myself hating him for his dispassion. You would think they separated. You would think they ended up in my office. You would think they would be divorced. But no, they stayed together. She stayed with her husband, and guess what? She's happy she did. Now, she goes on to say, I realize this is at odds with our current culture, which talks about how marriage should be, and if not, 
constantly blissful, free from intense animus that many married people of previous generations endured. She gives a mention and a great pop culture reference, which Dave, I know you appreciate it. We talked about it. The TV shows like The Sopranos and The Crown, where people stayed in complex marriages, right? But let me ask you, what's your take on this opinion piece? Do you get it? Does it make sense? Yeah, it does. Now, as I mentioned, the Hasidic faith has convictions embedded into it that the typical couple probably doesn't have. So it is sort of a horse of a different color. But it's I, I think you can, as I'm a divorced guy, I think you can be okay with a decision like that and still celebrate someone's decision to stay together. There's no right answer except the one that you and your spouse decide. And I think that there's something to this. There's there's something admirable in the the dedication, and it that seems to have made the writer happy on the other side. And so in that regard, they made the right choice. Dave, let me ask you. Yep. Your spouse has front row season tickets to the Red Sox, <laughs> right, right behind home plate. Mm-hmm. Do you stay in that marriage? <laughs> I'd still be anguishing over the decision and i'd probably still be married i'd also probably be married to david ortiz if he ever proposed so take it for what it's worth (laughs) but we move on to item two item two item two comes to us from wbur.org that's a public radio station in boston as a matter of fact but more importantly it's a piece written by journalist kathleen burge and she writes a journey through her own divorce a lot of things she learned during the course of her own divorce. She says, as a journalist, she did research research and discovered some surprising things. In fact, that in many circles, divorce is actually more scarce than people believe. Your thoughts on this one? Dave, we referred to a divorce as a process, as a journey, as a long road, as a transition. And this really hits that home, that it is a journey. And many key people are part of that therapists, financial professionals, attorneys, a support system. But this goes on to talk about a key point that I've mentioned before. And as a society, you hear so many people say the grass is greener, survive and thrive. Life will be better on the other side. And maybe all of that is true in many instances. But at the same time, do we as a society neglect to talk about the pain of divorce? Are we so focused on moving on? Are we so focused on what life's going to be look like and dating again and and everything you hear, divorce parties. What are your thoughts? While the stigma of divorce may not be there anymore, do you find people are really opening up and sharing the pain that they might be experiencing on the inside? Yes and no. I think we can still do a, a better job. I think any if anyone that's lived in America over the past decade has would probably admit that as a society, we're not communicating as well maybe as we used to. Maybe we rely too much on text messages and social media rather than actually talking openly about things. The Much of the stigma of divorce is gone, but I, I think it's still there. And to this writer's point, it is a journey, and so you really do have to strap in for the, the long run. I've been divorced almost 10 years, and I still think about it constantly. It, it's still there's sort of everyday reminders that I used to be married to somebody else, and so more more communication, I think, could be used, but hats off to the writer for sharing because I think this this article itself was a part of her journey to share it. 
But Dave, you mentioned 10 years. As you think back to those 10 years and, and really the past decade, were there different stages for you, different emotions that you felt year one, year two, and then in the middle, and now at this point? Yeah. How did everything change for, for you at this point compared to when you first started? Yeah, for sure. Every year has been a little bit different, I would say. The first year is very sad. The, the second year maybe comes as a little more you start to really feel free and start to appreciate and sort of cherish the things that you can do that maybe you couldn't do when you were married. But then over the long haul, you have you run the risk of a sort of sadness setting in that you just don't, it, it sort of doesn't hit you like a ton of bricks at first. In the years to come, you realize there was a structure to your life that isn't there anymore. So do you want, do you want that? Do you want to settle down with somebody else? Because a lot of people will jump from one marriage directly to another marriage. I know a lot of people who have done this. That never made sense to me because you just got done wrapping up something that didn't work out in the end. Why dive into the next thing? And so that's that. those are a few reasons why it changes from year to year. And then I admit I'm still working on, it's going to sound odd, but I'm still working on my relationship with my ex. We get along very well, but I'd like us to spend more time together with the kids. That's something I'd like to work on. So there's always something like that. Every divorce is different, but it's, it is, as the author says, a journey. Never over. We move well, on. We move on. Item three. Item three comes to us from Psychology Today. Headline reads, why do so many couples divorce after eight years? This writer finds the infamous seven-year itch is real, and here's how to avoid becoming a statistic and following that pattern of being a marriage that ends after eight years. Evan, your thoughts? Well, Dave, I got to tell you, I'm glad it's a seven-year itch and not a seven-day itch. Because, <laughs> look, I, I've seen all sorts of things, uh, you know, through my 15 years practicing matrimonial and family and divorce law. But look, how about the statistic that the average length of first marriages for divorcing couples is 8.2 years? I mentioned the itch, the seven-year itch. You mentioned the itch. I'll tell you what, I better get my wife a nice eight-year anniversary gift so I don't <laughs> find myself in someone's office. But look. I get it. It makes sense. And the article in Psychology Today explains why. It talks about the psychology of a marriage and relationship. You have life, you have jobs, you have kids. And it talks about really the time period in a marriage when you start to get just a little bit restless. And they put that time period right around the five-year mark. What are your thoughts on this? There's a lot of things wrapped up in this. I think one of them is the kids because after eight years, many couples, and I'm not sure the author talks about this specifically, but after eight years, you probably have kids. That is if you plan to have kids in the first place. And so the way the human mind works is we're usually preoccupied by the big thing going on in our life. So we're engaged to be married. We're thinking about that all the time. We get married. We're newlyweds. Maybe for the first year or so, they call it the honeymoon period right? Eventually, if you're going to have kids, as you're having, it can dominate your life. And then you, you, you sort of come to this moment where you look yourself in the mirror and say, am I happy with everything right now? So I think that that, and, and that's enough time so that you, you can convince yourself that you're not making a hasty decision. So I, I think most, many couples, even couples that don't end up getting divorced, they will face these moments where they still wonder whether everything makes sense. And is this what I signed up for? Because 
we get married, we get engaged. Most of us when we're in our 20s, not everyone, but probably a majority. And I don't know about you, Evan. I think a lot of, there's something to be said for the fact that you don't know everything you're going to know in your 20s. And you're, you're, not <laughs> you're, not, you're not necessarily equipped to make a decision that's going to last until you're 80 or 90. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, look, I, not only do I know what you mean, Dave, you're on point. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, look, people change. People get married, like you mentioned, at a point in time in their life, in their 20s, in their 30s. They're at one point in, in, in life and then you get married and you have kids and you're working full time and you have you know, a family and there's responsibilities and, and interests change. And it's a lot. And I don't think, and we've talked about this before with different experts on the featured podcast guest segments about working with therapists, working with people even before marriage who could help a newly married couple understand the work that's involved in staying together, in staying married, you know, how to keep the spark alive. I think it was the the couple from Pennsylvania, from the University of Pennsylvania, who wrote a fantastic book, who were guests on the podcast, you know, last year, who talked about how hard it is and the challenges. I think the book, Fuck Divorce, they talked about, they co-authored together and how they have to plan certain date nights and do things to keep the spark alive. Because if you don't do that, things can be, as we've seen and we've talked about, really, really hard. Yeah, and I think you're you're spot on there because I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I know that when when marriage was first became a thing, the life expectancy of people was maybe like 40 years old or, so, or something. And so if people got married around their, their, I don't know how it happened back then, but you got married around in your, your mid-20s, you have kids. And so that's not that far off from that eight-year thing. In the old days, you would just quietly pass away, <laughs> yeah, having yeah. procreated. Yeah. Nowadays... Yeah, it's it is sort of a work work begins, and that's that's that realization that not everybody has that when you're in love and you're young, it seems like you're invincible, and of course I'm going to be with this person for the rest of my life, and then you realize, wait a minute, I have to work at it. Well, you sure do, like any relationship. We move on though. <laughs> Item four. Item four comes to us from the Pittsburgh Post Gazette, and it's apropos of this week, Evan. Headline reads, stresses of tax season can be exacerbated by marriage conflict and all the intertwining issues between filing one's taxes and who claims what with your spouse, your divorcing spouse, or your ex-spouse. Your thoughts on this one? Well, Dave, taxes make people in happy relationships unhappy and stressed, so it comes as absolutely no surprise that the stresses of tax season add fuel to the proverbial marital flame. Look, when you're going through a divorce, filing taxes is something almost always that's discussed, whether to file jointly or married filing separately. Who gets the refund? Is it split? Is it held in escrow pending the ultimate resolution of the divorce? Who claims the children? And if there's concerns about someone's business or financial situation, perhaps a tax indemnification agreement will get executed. The topic of money in marriage, it's stressful. Taxes is a marital conflict. This is a whole nother level and something I often deal with and negotiate. Dave, your thoughts? Yeah, it it's a big headache. And and when people get divorced, it's probably one of the things that's not on your mind. After all, you're making such a big decision. You're not thinking about the 
you know, what you're going to do when you file your taxes next. But it's just such another layer of a thing. Do, do you often talk about taxes with your clients, Evan, when they're negotiating a separation agreement? Absolutely. Yeah. It comes up all the time and it should come up. You mm. should be talking to your clients about this, whether it's in connection with an agreement, the final divorce settlement. I bring in CPAs, I bring in tax attorneys, I bring in different professionals when certain specific issues arise where there's a need for an additional expert or an additional professional. But absolutely, Dave, this is something that should be discussed, something that should be negotiated. As an attorney, you need to protect your clients, whether it's with a refund, whether it's with an indemnification agreement for things that may come up, especially when there's concerns about what the other spouse may be doing financially. Yeah. And once you get divorced, it's it's not always 100% black and white. I own what I own, you own, you own. There are, I think, many cases where couples, and maybe even through over oversight, still own things jointly after they're divorced. And just because they're divorced doesn't mean they still don't own it jointly, certain things anyways. At this point, the only thing I, I share with my ex-wife is our uh, account at the grocery store, CVS, because every time they go up and they say, <laughs> is this your address? And they read the address of my ex-wife. And rather than explain, for 10 years, I've just been saying, yeah, that's it. So I don't think she cares. <laughs> she, Dave, she should give you a big thank you. You're building up all those CVS points on right. her account. That's exactly right. We move on. <laughs> item item five. five comes to us. Item five does from bodyandsoul.com. Interesting piece written by Shona Hendley. Headline reads, divorce registries are genius and I'll hear no different. It's the way to make divorce a little bit easier on your emotional state is to actually register for gifts that people will give you when you get divorced, if I understand this correctly. I've never been to a divorce party, ever, so I'm not sure, but your thoughts on this. Dave, look, I've not been divorced, but I have to tell you, sign me up. Sign me up for the <laughs> divorce registry. I love it. Now, you can argue it's tacky, and, and look, I'll hear that argument. Yeah. But just like any other registry, you're starting a new life. You're starting fresh. You're turning the page. It should be, and it often is, an exciting time. I take it, given the fact that you have not been to a divorce party, you probably did not have a divorce no. registry yourself. But what would be on your divorce registry? Well, I think I'm all set with china, silverware, tea kettles, and things like that. I'd be registering for things like a special bottle of bourbon or perhaps a travel voucher for Las Vegas, tickets to the Patriots, and things like that. Is it too late for me to do it, Evan? Because I'm thinking... I, was, the- <laughs> I don't think it is. I mean, as I'm listening to you say all those things, I mean, I'm not sure I'm going to be the one to splurge for those Patriot tickets. But I'll tell you, someone listening to the Shine On podcast... <laughs> We have an incredibly loyal subscriber base, fan base. Someone might be. I mean, Dave, maybe we should start the producer Dave (laughs) divorce registry. I mean, you're going to be getting these gifts left and right. I mean, who wouldn't want producer Dave to to have a registry, to have a divorce party? I mean, Dave, (laughs) I think we should do it. Well, the reason I would never have... To, to be slightly serious about it for a minute, the reason I never would have done it in the first place was everything I did, like social media and everything, I always tried to be respectful of my ex-wife. And I, that's why I, I'm guessing that's why she didn't want to have a divorce party. You, you, you know, when you're just wrapping this things up, you don't want to hear that your former significant other is having the time of their lives. However, I think I'm with the writer and that I support the idea of it, because if 
if that's a way for your friends to show you that they support you, then great. And it's it's probably better to have a registry than to have a divorce party in Las Vegas where you can get into all kinds of trouble. But you know what? If you're not sure, just do both, everybody. I mean, why not? I'm in for Vegas, but let me let me throw this idea yep. out to you. You mentioned you want to spend more time with your ex-wife. How about a joint divorce <laughs> party? So you could have a divorce party. She could have a divorce party. You spend time together, 10 years in the making, right? Yeah. You mentioned the 10-year, you hit the decade mark from the divorce, from the separation. How about a joint divorce party? As I said, I'm also open to the fact that that's a terrible idea, <laughs> but I'll throw it out there. Well, You don't have to worry about feeling badly. Yeah, here's, Think about it. Here's one reason you should do it, and that's that So I got married – 30 years ago, my wedding day was more, a little more than 30 years ago. Everything we registered for the first time pretty much needs to be replaced at this point. So we could just dust off the old wedding registry and back we go to Bed Bath & Beyond to buy a bunch of stuff that I don't need. But eh, we'll see. We'll tweak it. We'll tweak it. And we move on to the final item on the docket. <laughs> item item six. six. And item six comes to us from the New York Times. And Evan, I give you credit for picking this out because it's a fun one. New York Times does a piece on the 17 pop culture moments that define the COVID era. And it, it includes things like the TV show The White Lotus and Ted Lasso, various songs, endless baking TV shows, and things like that. What jumped out for you in, in this one, Evan? Dave, what jumped out for me is that notably absent from this list was any mention of the Shine Up podcast, which heck? let's not forget was <laughs> born during the pandemic That's in right. November of 2020. The Shine On podcast debuted, and Dave, as you could talk about, we haven't stopped. We're going strong, and we're in season three. Well, nearly 50,000 downloads later, Evan, I'd say it was one of the defining moments for many people's pandemic, and so we thank you, listeners. But, yeah, I mean, the, the it, it does make you think about how you spent those first couple of years. Now it seems like so <laughs> long ago because it was, but there were certain things that, got you through did you see the, the one of the things mentioned in this article is bo burnham's comedy special did you happen to catch that evan no i okay. did not so i'll encourage you to watch it that's a little tip for our our listeners bo burnham did this thing on i want to say it, it is on netflix it's just called inside and he shot this entire special by himself in this room but he did so many things with lighting tricks and just clever editing and stuff that it was very funny and also a little bit touching because this is a guy that struggled with depression over the years and he came forward with this new thing. But I know you're a Ted Lasso fan. That lifted you up during I'm, the pandemic. Yeah, no, it absolutely did. I'm a Ted Lasso fan and I'm right in the middle of uh, the new season right now. But the White Lotus, we've talked about it before and about the famous scenes, about the prenup and, and about all the twists in that show. That was great. Ted Lasso was great. Succession, which I'm in the middle of watching. The season finale the final season yeah i mean it's it, there's so much tv and things and pop culture and entertainment and movies that help to get us through during a very difficult time but dave you talked about 2020 and how long ago it feels mm. it was over three years ago right. i mean wow i mean and all of us went through things and experienced the pandemic you know in all sorts of unimaginable ways but putting aside pop culture how about the things that define the divorce industry in the COVID era, many of which gave rise to the creation of this podcast, but the rise in mediations and out-of-court resolutions, given the backup 
of the court system, which was created in part by the shutdown and the pandemic, virtual court appearances and the impact of technology and how the way we litigate changed for three years, although we are now shifting to being back in person, child custody and parenting schedules during the pandemic, you transition the kids, medical concerns, health concerns, people leaving cities and temporary relocations became permanent. And how about the great divorce? We saw a jump in people in their 50s and 60s and 70s getting divorced. So there were definitely things in the divorce industry that uh, we saw during COVID, some of which may continue and some of which may not. The court procedures, Evan, I know that so much of it switched to virtual. Were there changes made in sort of court procedures inspired by or necessitated by the pandemic that remained permanent or is the plan to get back completely to the way it used to be? So I think the plan is to be back in person and sort of sprinkle in virtual appearances when they make sense, when they can be more efficient. But I've had an endless amount of in-person court appearances over the past six months. I'm a big believer in the in-person appearances, given the type of work that I do. I'm seeing cases get resolved that did not get resolved because virtually you pop on, you pop off, you log on, you log off. There's not as much attorney interaction, client interaction, interaction with the judge. And so I think that as we fully transition to cases being back in person, I think you're going to see the court system hopefully not be backed up as much as it was during the pandemic. I mean, I, the big change, I think, in terms of court procedures, I think long gone are the days where you're going to have 20 or 30 cases on at one time. Right. I think there's been enough changes in the system. I think you'll see a hybrid function between virtual and person. I think the court system is going to stagger appearances. So you're not going to have 20 or 30 cases on at one time, which will help for all sorts of reasons. And we're now up to the part of the podcast where we hear from you. Another installment of Ask Evan. Ask Evan. Ask Evan. Ask Evan. We first hear from Noah from the East Village. He writes as follows. Dear Evan, I am going through a bitter divorce and it has lasted two years. Many of my court appearances have been virtual and now they're starting to be in person. The in-person ones have been more successful and we have made more progress. What are your thoughts on litigation virtually or in person? It's apropos of our just what we were talking about, Evan, but what are your what are your pieces of advice for Noah? No, thanks for the question, and thanks for listening to the podcast. Hey, look, we just talked about that in the, one of the last segments on the docket. Great question. We talked about this very issue before in the podcast, and specifically with former matrimonial New York County Judge Matthew Cooper, who joined the podcast in April of 2022 following his retirement from the bench. Go back and listen to what Judge Cooper had to say about the benefits of being in person for everybody as a judge, for the parties, for the attorneys. And look, I've been vocal about my thoughts. I'm a believer in what can get accomplished in person. And to me, as, as I mentioned a moment ago, I think being back in person has so many benefits. I'm able to effectively resolve many cases, being in person, have conversations, have discussions that you just would not have been able to have virtually. Again, you log on, you log off, as opposed to spending time actually talking with your client, with the other attorney, the judge, the judge's staff. And I think being in person so far has been very effective. 
Next, we hear from Lila from Chappaqua, New York. She writes, Dear Evan, I love your show and all the different segments. I have heard you talk about a lot of different things, and I enjoy the uniqueness of the podcast. What is the most surprising thing you've learned about the type of work you do? Lila, thanks for the question, and thanks for the nice comments and nice words. I would say the most surprising thing I've learned, you never know what goes on behind closed doors. You could think someone has the perfect marriage, perfect relationship. And at this point, I'm not surprised by anything. You hear all sorts of things. You hear how people live, the highs, the lows, the ups and downs. Everybody, I mean, everybody goes through different experiences, different things, highs, lows, tough times, good times. And again, you never know what goes on behind closed doors. Yeah, and I I think that's good advice, Evan, for sort of life in general. You hear this, it's maybe a cliche, but it rings true to me, and that is that don't don't forget when you're dealing with someone, no matter what interaction you're doing, that you don't know what's going on in their life, and they may have something really heavy they're, they're dealing with. So sometimes I think better to, if the person cuts you off in traffic, maybe let them go instead of hunting them down and bashing their car with a baseball bat like I usually do. Maybe I should let that go occasionally um, <laughs> because it's true. It's true. You, ne- you never know what's going on behind the scenes, what's going on in somebody's head. Our next, our next inquiry comes from Hannah from the Bronx. Hannah writes, Dear Evan, I'm about to start a divorce, and I am nervous and afraid. I know I will need support. Who are the professionals I should contact to help me through the process? Hannah, thanks for your question. And first, let me say this. It's totally normal to be nervous, to have all those feelings, to be afraid, to be nervous, to feel everything that you're feeling at this point in time. And support, it's a wonderful thing. As I've said before, divorce is a true team sport, and you should contact different professionals. I would recommend starting with an attorney. Let that attorney quarterback and make recommendations for you. Professionals to consider include, obviously, the attorney, a therapist, a financial professional, or another type of attorney, an estate attorney, a business attorney, or a divorce coach if you find that you're in need for support especially at the early stages. And as I've talked about before, the early stages when you're contemplating the, the, going through a divorce or you start a, the divorce action, that is one of the hardest times because for many reasons and for many people, you don't know what to expect and you're going to need the support in the beginning and the support that you'll receive at the onset is going to help you through one of the hardest and most challenging times and I promise that you'll be thankful you had that support from the beginning. Now, when you let people know that they can use really a kind of a team when it comes to a divorce, if that sounds a little overwhelming to people, I take it, Evan, if they find a professional that they trust, for example, if they went to you, you would have advice to them on who to go to for these other professionals. And in like manner, other professionals would know others. True or false? Yeah, no, it's a great, it's a great point. You know, and, and you're absolutely right, Dave. You know, I recommend reaching out to one person, a trusted professional. Let's say it's the divorce attorney. Let that person quarterback when you make connections with those professionals, maybe when the timing is right. That person can give you a list of recommendations, a list of referrals. You always want to be careful about getting too many opinions or reaching out to too many people all at once, especially in the beginning just because you might feel a bit overwhelmed. That's another edition of Ask Evan. If you want to submit a question for Evan to answer on the podcast, email producer Dave at david at pod617.com.
episode 61. This was a blast, an incredible docket, a fun ass Kevin featuring you, all the listeners who continue to fill the inbox with fantastic questions and incredible comments. Producer Dave, we switched things up, and I got to tell you, this was fun. I love it. And you said people wanted more docket, more ask Kevin. I assume that you meant they also wanted more producer Dave because I got a chance. Of to course. <laughs> of course, I bet they wanted more producer well, Dave. Dave. Who does it? One more producer, Dave. And I know that invite for that divorce registry <laughs> is going to come out because I got to tell you, the divorce party, divorce registry, we just got things started. Something for me to look forward to. Thanks, Evan. And everybody can listen to the podcast and all major podcast platforms. You can also check out the episode of the podcast at Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. I'm Evan Shine, and I'll talk to you again real soon. Mm-hmm.